a, a fairly uh, simple um, snapshot of the first part of chapter 3. Uh, stand with me now and um, hear now the word of the Lord as I read uh, Acts chapter 3, verses 1 through 16. Hear now the word of the Lord. Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, that is called the beautiful gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, Look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up. And immediately his feet and his ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. While he clung to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people, Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this, or why do you stare at us, though by our own power or piety we have made him walk? The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob The God of our fathers glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate while when he decided to release him. But you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. And you killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. And his name... By faith in his name has made this man strong whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. Faith comes from hearing and hearing the word of Christ. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, help us now to put our self in place of this man. Help us now to set our attention toward this teaching from your apostles, this teaching that was granted by the Holy Spirit through the work of Jesus Christ for the building up of your church that we might believe. Help us, Father, to not only believe, but to follow Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. You may be seated.
It's always a fun thing to be able to, to come up with really simple three points when you're a pastor. And it's even more fun if you get it to rhyme. Um, I know Knox, he appreciates rhymes. He doesn't like rap music that doesn't rhyme. He doesn't think poetry that rhymes is really poetry. He's, he's got a pretty strict mindset about rhyming. So today I get to have three simple points for you all. Um, that if you remember anything in my frazzled thinking and frazzled presentation today, I think this should be simple for you. So you should be able to, to hold on real tightly. So today I want you to first to weigh the name of Jesus Christ. To get a feel for the weight of what is behind, what is being said here. It is so easy, like I say, many sermons for us just to rush through this and to miss, especially for those of us who have grown up in the church and who have heard people say the name of Jesus or the name of Jesus in that, or I, I proclaim this in the name of Jesus, or I pray this in the name of Jesus. And in a sense, it's this, just the preparation of this sermon is maybe think, am I, am I using that too lightly? Am I thinking about what is being explained here in this particular passage when Peter says, in the name of the Jesus of Nazareth, rise up and walk. I encourage you to think about the weight of what it means. It's not like a love song in the name of love by itself, even though it's not too off from that, but it's not just some kind of simple proclamation of this has to do with Jesus or this is something that's connected to Christianity or this is something that's religious. There is much more power and weight in thinking about the name of Jesus Christ. So weigh the name. I want to encourage you, as I know that most of you have, to pray the name, but to think about what it means to pray the name of Jesus Christ especially in your own prayers, not to just rush through at the end and say, in the name of Jesus, amen. But to think about what that means and to think about what you are connecting to the name of Jesus when you pray. What are you praying for? And do you have a right to actually say in the name of Jesus about your particular prayers? Are we using his name faithfully? Are we using it humbly? Are we using it anticipating that we have a right to proclaim to the Heavenly Father that in the name of Christ, these things should be done? And then I want you to say the name. Proclaim the name of Jesus Christ. To look at your lives as a way that everything in your life Every single thing that has now been put under the feet of Jesus Christ is a proclamation of his name. Because these are all for his purposes. This particular scene seems somewhat of a simple scene of things that we have become very familiar with, with Jesus in the Gospels. And then throughout our years, especially those of you who have grown up in a Christian home or have been in a Christian home for a while or have been following after the Lord, you've surely heard and read many things about the healings that Jesus has done and the healings that the apostles and disciples have done. And maybe you've even read missionary stories where God has granted special times of healing or you may have even in your own life have seen the Lord work 
in healing your own life or other people that you have prayed for. Do not allow it to be just thrown into the mix of just general healing. Think again, as I've mentioned ever since we've begun the book of Acts, to be thinking about what is specifically going on here in the moment of time and what God is doing in building His church and building His kingdom and how is every component of this for the purposes of proclaiming His name. So we want to see what God is doing specifically here, and we want to apply that also into our lives of how everything that we are doing as a continuation of this work that was established through the work of Jesus Christ in the Holy Spirit is also for the purposes of proclaiming His name. So weigh the name, pray the name, and say the name of Jesus Christ. I was trying to think of whose name to connect to this particular question that I had for you today, but I, I can't really think of anyone. I'm afraid that it might make people nervous or something. I don't know why. I just have a really weird feeling about it. So I just, I'm just going to make a generic scenario. So say when you all are coming in this morning through the vestibule, if you could get into the vestibule, we had a little bit of a challenge getting in this morning to the vestibule. Once you got in, so you came in and you saw laying on a table a checkbook. And you opened up the checkbook and you saw checks, blank checks. And the first check was already signed. The name of the person, the signature of the person that was in the top of the check was also the signature that's on the particular check. But everything else was blank about the check. Apart from the whole easy thing for us to hopefully, hopefully your conscience would automatically kick in and know, you know, if I use this check and write it to myself, I would be stealing. But apart from that idea of stealing this person's money, why would that be wrong? To go ahead and take a check, go ahead and put on there, Zane Krogan, $2,000, (laughs) $2,000, and you can put in the memo, because I'm so good looking, <laughs> and go take it to the bank. Now, maybe that was pushing it a little bit, but I don't want, you know, <laughs> maybe just create your own memo there. Why would that be wrong for Zane to do that? Because he's using someone else's name. What if it didn't have the signature on there? And he's like, well, I know how to spell. I'm still doing cursive. Do you know how to do cursive? Yeah, you're, you're, you know, I know a lot of public school people aren't able to do cursive. But you know, still a lot of us are able to do the signature thing. So I can do that. I can actually write on there the same person's name on there. Why would that be wrong? It's forgery. It's forgery. What's wrong with Forgery. I mean, if you can write the name, I mean, if you're able, but why why is it illegal? What's wrong? I mean, if you can do it, why can't you do it? But, but why, say it wasn't about money. Say it was just some little document, just something really simple, something they were going to go ahead and do anyway. And you're like, he's going to do this anyway. I'm just going to go ahead and write the signature on here. Why is that a wrong thing?
Wow, he's gotten big plans. I was I was thinking <laughs> I was thinking more on a simple level line, but basically you're taking a name of someone. You're stealing a name. You're not just stealing money or the power to move armies. I hadn't thought about that one this morning. <laughs> but you're taking someone's name. And I would assume that you all would not want to do that. I know that in a lot of conversations that I have with many of you all, that if we're trying to figure out something, and we're talking about, well, so-and-so said this or said that, and then, and then if it gets kind of muddled in the middle of the conversation, a lot of times people will say, you know, I'm not sure. Maybe you should just ask them yourself. I don't want to represent this person's position wrongly. I don't want to attach their name to a decision or to an idea or to an opinion wrongly. So it would be better if you would just contact them. Hopefully you have that level of conscience to not want to attach someone's name or identity to an idea or to the giving of certain money wrongly. It's not just the concept of just stealing or greed or anything like that. It's an honor toward the person's identity. I mean, what if Sophia's grandmother wrote her a check for her birthday and she wrote $10 for her birthday? She'd be pretty happy with that. But she's like, you know what? I know my grandmother really loves me. She forgot to write the little note at the bottom. It actually writes out the amount. I can throw a couple more zeros on there. She loves me. <laughs> what would be one? And what if? What if? What, you know, her grandmother would like. Yeah, she would have the money, and she would love Sophia to have that money. But what would be really the most insulting thing about that? Well, you would be doing something outside of what was her desire. It wouldn't be just the money. It would be using her name, using something that had her name and her representative there on the paper and taking something wrongly that was dishonoring to her or assuming upon through that process that she would give that. And as we go into this particular passage and dig through a little deeper... I want to first just look at the general context of the amazing thing that's going on. It's something that I had even, honestly, before I started studying this week, I, I, I did lump it in a little bit to the overall act of what God is doing in time through building the church. But I also want us to, to think about, through this particular event, how we too do not get it. We don't get the weight of what is really behind the name of Jesus. In fact, I think that the modern church today probably treats the name of Jesus far more disrespectfully than we would our grandmother's name or somebody's name that we would see on a check. That we would actually be very careful not to misrepresent the will and the desire of someone that is walking on this earth as we do more than we would proclaiming and misrepresenting Jesus Christ our Lord. 
I think it's a huge sin of breaking the third commandment that we do probably daily. I know that I, even myself, as I look at the role and calling that I have as a pastor, and as a father, and as a husband, all of those things represent God in some way. In some way, they are stamped by the name of Jesus Christ. And do I take it seriously? The things that I am communicating, are they in line with the will and the desire of my Savior and King and the Lord of all things? Or am I, in essence, through my actions, adding a few zeros or going ahead and writing it out according to my own desire? Let's first look. Let's look at this. This is something that I missed here. What is a word that is repeated multiple times in this first paragraph? What's going on here? Where are they? They are at the temple. Now, it's just not circumstantial that they just, this is a good place, the scene, it was a nice scene. God was thinking, you know, it's got a nice view, a nice backdrop. Let's go ahead and set up the cameras here and get a, a, a good widescreen of the portico. It's just a really nice scene. It's a good day outside. It's not raining. Let's take a good storyline right here on the place called Beautiful, because it's beautiful. And it'll be a nice little scene in this particular storyline. This is not a normal narrative. We have to continue to keep going back and looking at the context of the narrative, especially as we go through this week by week. We first have to remember that the Acts of the Apostles, this particular book, this particular narrative and instruction for us, was established by Jesus telling us, telling his disciples ultimately, that he's about to build his church. And this is how the church is going to be built. These are the things that are going to occur as I go about establishing my church. And I'm going to send you my spirit. He sends the Spirit. It's a very big entry as the Spirit comes in. Though the Spirit's always been active, we have this very momentous occasion where God is making it very clear that He is fulfilling the promises of His Spirit, reaching out to all the nations. We see how the first church is established And it's a very momentous occasion of how people are drawn to particular activity based upon the movement and the fruit of the Holy Spirit. So it's not just circumstantial or a nice little part of the narrative that the very first miracle that we will see that Peter the Apostle will do here has to do with this lame man sitting outside of the temple. If you look here, it says, now Peter and John were going up to the temple. A little further on, it says, "Whom they la- <laughs> we're talking about the, the man who was lame, who was laid at the, daily at the gate of the temple. And it says, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple. What's going on here is a movement. This particular scene is a representative scene of the fulfillment of everything that God is saying that he is doing with the building of the church. We have a lame man who cannot go into the temple. 
He has not the strength and the capacity to go into the temple or even the right to go into the temple. But John and Peter, who have been appointed by God for this particular purpose, is going up to the temple to go into the temple. And we have here the observation of seeing this tremendous story where this man who was lame from birth, just like we, who we have been lame from birth, that we can't do anything for ourselves, that all we can do is beg, is sitting there when the appointed representatives of Jesus Christ is walking past them, And Peter and John, inspired by the Holy Spirit, they fix their gaze upon this man. What is ultimately going on here is that Peter and John are fixing their gaze as being those who are proclaiming the name of Jesus Christ. They're setting their gaze upon all of us. We are the broken, incapable born in sin, without any hope. And they're, 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 they're like, here we go. I mean, it doesn't even explain why they're doing this, but they're, the intensity of the word in Greek is that they, they're, they're, their focus is, here we go. This is, this is about to be the show that Jesus Christ told us that we were going to perform so that people would know that we are from Jesus Christ. And this particular one is just like us. We're begging. We're scrounging. We pray out to God. And often our prayers are predominantly for the very things that this particular man prays for. He's expecting to be taken care of. Some kind of provision. Some kind of provision of life that will take care of us in our weakness. We can't do it on our own. For those of us who are humble enough, we're like, Lord, please take care of us. Thank you for the food. Keep feeding us. Thank you for the clothes. Keep clothing us. Thank you for our health. Keep giving it to us. We, can't, we know we can't sustain. He's humble enough to know that he needs to be there and beg out for sustenance and for care. But Peter says, I have no silver and gold. But what I have, I give to you. And we need to pause. Push the pause button. And think about what he's about to say. And push play. And we need to consume every word of this in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. Now, most of us are going to quickly go to the end of that sentence and go, wow, he said, rise up and walk. Isn't that an amazing thing? He said, rise up and walk. And then he did. He did rise up and walk. But we need to stop and rewind again and go, what did he say? He said, in the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. This is the centerpiece of that particular moment. The rise up and walk, again, as I mentioned last Sunday, it's a sign to point us back to what was proceeding. In the name of Jesus Christ, 
is the proclamation for the whole purpose and point from the Old Testament prophecies and everything that had occurred and everything that Jesus has been saying in the Gospels and what is now being manifested in the church centers on that particular point. It wasn't just that Peter and John, as they just happened to be going to the temple that day, they thought it would heal a guy. It wasn't just like yesterday when I... I was going to pick up the orders of worship. They're at exit 7. Most of you take exit 7. Nine times out of ten, there's a guy right there. Asking for money. And I thought, I'd just say, oh, okay, I'll, you know, I don't have any money, but rise up and walk. <laughs> it's not just one of those kind of situations. This is a moment where Jesus is fulfilling his particular promises through the Holy Spirit through the appointment of his apostles, that he had told the apostles, this is what you're going to do. This is the great commission being fulfilled. In the different accounts of the great commission, it doesn't just talk about making disciples, it talks about the healing that is occurring. And we have to step back and keep looking at the bigger picture of what Jesus is doing here. We often, just to associate it to our own lives, we think, well, we have the, we have the Great Commission. We're supposed to go out and tell people about Jesus. But we first, we've got to first look at the foundations of that Great Commission was primarily and first of all started with the concrete foundation and Jesus as the cornerstone of the Apostles doing the Great Commission. Now, I'm not saying we're not attached to it, but this moment, if you go back and look at the different accounts of the Great Commission, this is the fulfillment. It is Peter and John's job to go out and to heal and to make disciples and to show these signs so that people would know the name of Jesus Christ. That's the goal. And this is a momentous occasion, and the setting is not circumstantial. This is teaching us of the new way how God is going to relate to his people. This is in the middle zone. The temple is still there. The temple has not yet been destroyed. Jesus has also promised that he's going to rebuild the temple once the temple is destroyed. The temple is still there, so this is a if anything, a hybridization transition of how God's new economy is going to work in the kingdom, that he is going to be bringing people into his presence that were not in his presence before. It's actually going to be the beginning of the reversal of seeing as the temple is destroyed, he is building his new house. The house that Thomas read about. This morning, that God had promised that he was going to build. Those shadows and those schoolmaster lessons of what it was going to be like to have God dwell in us. This is the beginning door. And we are the lame man here. We're not as much as Peter and John. We often want to put ourselves in that place No, we're the lame man, and Peter and John are are representatives of Jesus and what he is doing in his church. So much that Peter is wanting it to be so very clear, don't look at me in this. 
The only reason I am doing this is so that you would know the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. That you would see the name of Jesus Christ. And then here we fast forward to the end of what I read. It said that he said in his name, Jesus' name. And get this, there's this little interesting, it's interesting how they've tried to, to set it off in the English, in the translation from the Greek. It says, by faith in his name. It's, it's this combination of, it's Jesus' name that has done this. And it's faith in his name. What does that name represent? What well, represents everything that I've been talking about? His name is attached to everything that has been said all the way back from the very beginning. One, through the creation of man and bearing the image of man, but then further through the promises and the covenants of a salvation to come, a redeemer that was going to set everything to the place of God's will. When we read in Daniel about the Son of Man, we often think about that in light of, this is something that Jennifer has been reading lately in our home, about Daniel and the Son of Man. We think, oh, okay, yeah, he was, he was the Son of God and he's the Son of Man. He's, he's both God and man. That makes sense. No, it's more than that. When Daniel was prophesying about the Son of Man, he's talking about this conqueror that's coming in that's taking over it's a name and so when jesus says i'm the son of man he's not just saying oh i'm i'm part man i'm part god you know i'm I'm all these things you know i'm not he's not saying that he's saying i am the one who is the conqueror actually when he says i'm the son of god it's actually more of showing the humanity of the son of god when he says the son of man it's actually pointing more to the promise of the the great deity king coming in in bringing final judgment. It's, the, pro, it's the, procl- the proclamation of all of the will of God that centers into the name of Jesus. It's thinking about all of those particular things. And it is, it's interesting, as I was reading about the, the, how the, the posture toward what it means to, to honor the name of, of Jesus, it says it's almost like it's cultish. The posture toward the name of Jesus. That it's such a tremendous devotion to every intricacy of the desire of Jesus that everything is given to that. Now often when we think about cults in today's society, we're thinking about churches where the person that is leading it is, is the center. And how, how, how messed up it is that someone would give all of their life and devotion to an individual and, and that they would just kind of be brainwashed toward doing everything to devote themselves to an individual and to their particular movement. And that's a very scary thing that we should definitely have caution in and stay far away from. But when it comes to our posture toward Jesus Christ, it should be cultish, according to the the actual root of the word cult. That we are totally sold out. That we are fanatically interconnected everything that is connected to the name of Jesus Christ. It's not just some simple association. Well, I, I like Jesus. He's a good guy. He's a loving guy. He's, he's my friend. He's there for me when I need him. Those are all good benefits of what he has accomplished on the cross, but there's so much more to it. 
And what's going on in this situation is not just a lame man being able to stand up and walk. But the only purposes that Peter is wanting us to understand is that this is a fulfillment of the name of Jesus Christ and what he desires. So as we think about the weight, we think about the, all of the revelation of what it means to worship Him, to give our full devotion to Him. And if we do that, we're also wanting to know what do you want, Jesus? What do you desire? What have you been doing? What, what's going on? I need to know more about Jesus. I need to know what you desire for me to do. It's not just... I'm with Him. And I'll just, through my experiences, make all of my relation and proclamation about Jesus center around what I've encountered in my life. The problem we have in the church today is that a lot of people don't mind associating themselves with the name of Jesus, but they can't stand all of this Old Testament junk. They can't stand all of the blood and wall and what seems to be legalism. So they're just kind of like, let's just cut that out. And then they go and they say, well, you know, Paul, he was kind of stuck in his time. You know, they're he was sexist and you know they had slaves back then and I don't know. I, I, you know, it just just cut that out. You know, all I wanted, all I want is Jesus. That's all I want. So let's take, let's take the epistles and let's kind of just put them on the shelf and say these are kind of antique because of when it was written in the Old Testament. I mean, it's really antique. And let's just focus on Jesus and how good He is and how kind He is and how loving He is to us. Well, let's think about what's going on here. He's appointed. He made it very clear through the Gospels you pick these 12, and then now this 13th one that's included because one, the son of perdition, is no longer a part of them. And then eventually he's going to add Paul to the collection. And he said, you guys have a special appointment to build the foundations of this church. The fact that we're reading Acts and we're referring it as God's word is dependent upon that proclamation of what Jesus did through these apostles. Have you ever thought about why the New Testament is considered to be God's Word? The Old Testament's a little easy because Jesus points back to it. And since we like Jesus, we don't like Abraham and Moses too much, but we like Jesus, we can say, well, Jesus said that the Old Testament was God's Word. So that should keep at least people from going in that direction, but we still do cut that out. But what about the New Testament? Why is the New Testament considered to be God's Word? What's that? Well, he's in it. But why are we specifically focused on these particular books? Well, the church is focused on what Jesus said and how He appointed His apostles. He appointed them in the work of to build the church and to proclaim his desires for the church. 
And it's been isolated to that particular proclamation because of the name of Jesus that was given to these apostles is the reason why we hold these particular letters and these accounts to be the Word of God. They were inspired by appointment in the kingdom of Jesus Christ and by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. That's a big conversation about the canonization of the Scriptures, but it's rooted in the same thing that is occurring here in this particular narrative when the beggar is being healed. It is because of the power in the name of Jesus Christ being worked out in this specific appointment of these particular apostles for this particular purpose. And we need to see that. And when we say, Jesus, do this or that, according to your name, we have two things. One, we need to understand that he, throughout his word, blessed is the man who seeks refuge in his name. It is a salvation and refuge for us that we can actually come to his name and rely on his name. This lame beggar, it was faith in the name of Jesus Christ that gave him access to the temple. Gave him access to God himself. It was faith in that name. Faith in that work. Faith in all of the things that Jesus is being proclaimed. Now we, in our, depending upon where we're at in our walk, we may only have a little bit of understanding of what all that means. But even at that particular maturity of faith is still given to us by the Holy Spirit. But it's rooted in the overall work. And so as we grow, we want to know more. We want to know more about what that name represents. And we want to do more to be faithful to that particular name if we have faith in his name, in his kingdom, in all of the things that is about him. It's one of the reasons why Jonathan, when he thinks about hymns, he, you know, he gets a little edgy about hymns and singing. Because there's a lot of songs out there that are not so much about Jesus. A lot of hymn songs, a lot of songs being sung in the church today. That's really more about people's experience. Now, Jonathan's not opposed to people's experience, but we have to be so very careful that that doesn't become what we say Jesus' name is. We want to keep going back to the Word over and over again, not because he's an old past stuffy OPC guy? It's because you can't be made strong and dwell in the presence of Jesus Christ based upon human experience. There is no power in any other name than in the name, the name, the life, the work, the will, of Jesus Christ. So pray the name of Jesus. But pray the name of Jesus. Pray in His name. Submit all of your prayers according to His will, in His way. Scrutinize your prayers. Now truly, we know that the Holy Spirit takes our weak and messed up 
and flawed and sometimes full of sin prayers and brings them to the presence of the Lord. But that doesn't mean we just should be flipping about it. And we go, well, I just say whatever I want to say. The Holy Spirit will wash it up for me. That's not that level of honor toward the name that's almost cultish. I mean, it is, it is, it's, you can be cultish about Jesus. It's, you know, isn't that funny? Based upon our experience, based upon our experience in the church, I'm afraid to use the word cultish because I don't want people to think that I'm trying to form a cult. Well, that's based upon experience and failure in the church. When it comes to Jesus, give it all. Give it all to him. Be completely crazy and nutty about it. It's okay, but make sure you're rooted in his word. Make sure you're rooted in the things that has put his name upon it. And then when you do that, then we have the ability to say his name. To be able to actually go and to proclaim it. Look at what Peter, look at the posture of Peter. He's hiding behind the name of Jesus. He's being very careful here. That people are not focused in on him. This has been a tough transition for the disciples. It's not their first entry into that. They were kind of like, well, where are we going to sit? What are we going to do? You know, who's going to get the glory? You know, that's the way they were in the beginning. Well, that's just like we are. Say his name, but understand what you're saying when you proclaim it. And so you have the, the both the tremendous benefit and blessing of being able to have access and refuge in the name of Jesus. But you have the great warning. We will see not only in the end of Acts where people were using Jesus' name as a repetition kind of thing, to, as some kind of um, um, magical, I can't use the word, what's the word? Like hocus pocus, what's another name for that? The incantation. incantation or something. That's not... It's not the point of what Jesus is saying here in this name. We see how people in the end, in Matthew, the end of Matthew, saying people said, Lord, Lord, didn't we do this or that? And Jesus just simply says, I didn't know you. You know why he says he didn't know you? Because you didn't know him. You're using his name in vain for your own purposes, for your own selfish desires. And that is what divides the church, according to James. Say his name with thanksgiving. Say his name seeking his refuge. Say his name and rest in his name like this one. You are completely undone without any ability to have access to him. But now, through the name of Jesus Christ, not only are we allowed to go into the temple we have now become the temple of Jesus Christ. And then that is where it gets to be scary. Because if you proclaim his name, if you call yourself a follower of Jesus Christ, if you say you're a Christian, if you say you're a part of this church that Jesus is building, and then you are one who is proclaiming to the world who Jesus is. So we do it with humility and thanksgiving, and we do it with fear and reverence. That's why this table is a tremendous phenomenon. 
Because this is a table that we're coming to eat, understanding that we will not survive in this life and the life to come without the nourishment and without the sustenance and without the life of Jesus Christ. And so we come with thanksgiving. We come with joy. We come together as His church. But we're torn. We're also, we're also coming with reverence. That's why the churches, is, it's like we're going to fall sometimes one way or the other. Some churches, you know, it's like, wait, is it a funeral or is it a feast? And you go to other places, it's like, is, 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 it, is there even God in this? You know, it's kind of like snack time at the YAMCA. It's YWCA here. <laughs> this is not the snack time at the YWCA, and this is not a funeral. This is the blood and body of Jesus Christ, which brings us together to proclaim his name. So weigh his name, say, pray his name, and say his name even now as we come together at his table. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for bestowing your name upon us. Give us hearts of joy and gratitude. Give us hearts of reverence and fear so that we would say it well, that we would long to see people rise up and walk toward you, that we would jump and leap like this man for our own salvation and for the salvation of others, that there would be that kind of joy and exuberance, but then we would have that same kind of fear and desire to make sure that people only saw you. Shape our lives this way. Help us as men and women, men and women that you have created to represent even our gender faithfully and our roles faithfully, our marriages faithfully, our parenting or our submission unto our parents faithfully the ministry of this church and the individual ministries of one another as we live our lives in our community. Father, we pray that we would honor your name and that it would not be shame. Guard us from this, Father. According to your Son's name, we pray. Amen. Let us stand now and let us thank the Lord for all that he has done and given to us so that we may proclaim his name throughout the world. Glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Ghost as it was in the Father, we do thank you for all the things that you have given to us, our health, our lives, even our sickness, our provisions, our incomes, our comforts. May it be that we would take these things for your service 
May you give us an abundance so that we may grow your kingdom and to give to others. May it be that in all these things that you have given to us, that we would give them back to you for the proclamation of your son's name, we pray. Amen. You may be seated. The Lord's table is for the Lord's people. It is for those who see yourself in that particular narrative to be the one who is incapable of lifting yourself up from your own sickness and death. Those who will come to the table in repentance and faith, and those who will, in the name of Jesus, just as in the Great Commission, to be baptized in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, it will be for those who are in the body of Jesus Christ. Let us celebrate now according to his name.
body of Christ. Take me. Couple the new covenant. Take and drink. For as often as you eat the bread and you drink the cup, you proclaim his name, his death, and his resurrection until he returns. Let us pray together. Almighty and ever-living God, we thank you for feeding us with the spiritual food of the most precious body and blood of your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ, and for assuring us in these holy mysteries that we are living members of the body of your Son and heirs of your eternal kingdom. And, O oh Lord, grant us this other benefit that you will never allow us to forget these things but having them imprinted on our hearts, may we grow and increase daily in the faith which is at work in every good deed. And now, Father, send us out to do the work you have given us to do, to love you.